And I walked out and next minute, bang, comes the lights and you just get hit by this spotlight. And all of a sudden, my heart started pounding, pounding. I was thinking, I, I couldn't think. The conscious brain had shut off. I was in fight mode, fight or flight mode. I was in fight mode. I didn't, I couldn't think. And I walked, I just said, just keep walking, keep walking. And I stood there and I could see, I think there's something like a thousand people that are, are in front of me. And I just started talking complete gibberish. I was, I was talking, I was like, the next orchestra is going to be playing in, and I could hear even sniggers in the crowd. And I just said, oh, it's in G minor and, and thanks very much. And I just got off the stage in front of a thousand people. And it had massive impacts on me that I didn't, I didn't realize, but it had really soaked into my soul, into my head. And that was the defining moment for Emmett, a memory that he would never forget, that he hasn't forgotten for the rest of his life. It was at that moment that he wouldn't have known, he was only 15, that eventually that pain that he got with that particular incident shaped the way his career would be going to where today he is helping other people through the tools, the resources, the training, the education, the speaker's journal, everything that he's doing today now is helping people cope, have strategies for becoming outstanding communicators. And it was that tiny little incident that defined it. You will definitely enjoy Emmett's story and you will definitely want to get hold of the speaker's journal because it's awesome. Staying Alive UK. Share your story. Hello, Emmett, and welcome to the Share Your Story podcast. How are you today? I'm doing good, Michael. So it's been uh, lockdown number two. Yeah. Uh, so getting getting used to that. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm great. I've done quite a, a number of these podcasts now during lockdown one and now lockdown two. So it's been it's been reasonably easy to get hold of people and pin them down because of it, because not you know people are not moving around. Mm. But I, I lockdown two is definitely differently. I I quite there were aspects of lockdown one I enjoyed. I have to say, the reduction of traffic on the roads, you know, the mm. pollution. Uh, I mean, I live rurally, but there's still you know on the road lots of cars and things. This time round, I haven't noticed a drop off at all. In fact, it almost looks busier on the road. I know mm. schools are still open, so that's different. But yeah, it's it's. I haven't noticed as much of a difference. I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I think I think from my side, it's uh, so. Just to give you some a little bit of context, a bit of color, is that I'm based here in Westminster. Mm. And uh, I'm in a 65 square meter flat mm. here in a place called Great Coke Gardens. And 
typically this is a place that's busy because we're quite close to Victoria mm. and Victoria has now become a, a kind of a hub in uh, in London. So there's a lot of offices and it's usually quite a busy place. But yes. in the past few weeks, obviously because of lockdown, it's completely changed. It's it's very quiet. A lot of shops now closing up. You're seeing a lot of closed coffee shops that were typically open. This doesn't feel like London. It's, it feels strange, you know? Mm. It feels. Mm. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the movie 28 Weeks Later. No. But it's kind of like this... Uh, I wouldn't call it apocalyptic, but I would definitely mm. say it's it's a it's a derivative of it in some way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's um it's certainly you know life going forward despite all the vaccine chat that's going on. Mm. It's just going to be different, isn't it? It's it's not going to be as rich and full as we've experienced in the past. I mean, personally, mm. I don't like my prediction, but I am more of a realist with things like this. So I believe we're on a kind of three to five year journey and mm. to get to get through this and for us to change, to get back to, I hate this term, but it's the best way to describe it, like a new normal, <laughs> but I don't mm. like that term. I also don't like the term that every advertiser is using, which is now more than ever. Mm. Uh, that's a terrible term as well. Mm -hmm. But um, anyway, we're not here to talk about COVID. So we got that out of the way. <laughs> we want to talk about you, Emmett. So my first question that I ask every guest, and my listeners now are very familiar with it, is... Tell us a little bit about your personal life, Emmett. So where were you born? Have you moved around? Uh, a bit about your education and then transition into your career, your first job, and then we move through your career to your current day. So people get a real sense of where you've come from. And then we can talk about how we met and then about your project as well, which is super interesting. And I'd love to hear about it. I've seen what you're doing with the journal and uh, I'd love to hear more about how that all came about and how that's going as well and where the future with that is. So over to you, Emmett. Sure. So before I talk about where I was born, I'll give you a little bit of context um, about my, my family. So my, my father is from a place called Roscommon in Ireland. And my mother is from uh, Kerry in Ireland. And they both moved over to the UK. Uh, they met actually in Manchester. Right. And they met not in a nightclub. Uh, <laughs> they met in where there was no flashing lights and Rihanna playing in the background. No. They, they met uh, at a dance. Men on one side, women on the other side. Oh, wow. And at some point someone breached the trenches and went over the top. Right. And uh, I think at one point during that evening, my, my dad decided to breach and go into no man's land. And uh, he, he found my mother, who was a, a nurse working in Manchester at the time. Wow. And, um, and yeah, from, from that moment, then they, they had uh, three children, uh, which is my sister, 
and my other two brothers. And they were all born in the UK, different parts of the UK. Mm-hmm. And after, after a number of years, they decided to move back to Ireland. Right. So they, they, they settled in Limerick. Right. And Limerick is where I came into the equation. Right. I know so, it well. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so Limerick is known for various reasons. So I'll be curious to know what you know <laughs> or mm. what, what you experienced. But grow, grew up in Limerick, born in Limerick in 1986. So that makes me 34. And it was in 1986, Limerick was, and even Ireland itself, we weren't part of the European Union. We didn't have the financial backing that we had back then. Mm. Ireland was was going through a bit of a tough phase, I would say, economically. Yes. And uh, of course, we didn't have globalization then. And, and of course, the internet wasn't a big thing. No. So it was a lot, a lot of dependency on agriculture and, you know, even kind of construction, etc. Mm. So that was the type of Ireland I came into, into the yeah. world in 1986. And and then growing up in Limerick, um, my biggest interests were golf. Um, mm. Where I grew up, I actually grew up on a golf course called Limerick Golf Club, but very, uh, very original. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we're based near the, the old sixth green of that golf club. And I spent my youth playing golf every day, golf, oh. golf 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 and I loved it it was kind of where I I channeled all my energy but it also brought a kind of a, a competitive element to my to myself great so so I would say the abundance of my childhood um was taken up with that with sport mm. Mm. um my 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 father then while we we're in Ireland he set up a, a fireplace business and my mother became a full-time mother, essentially, and right. helping him out with his with his business as well. My siblings are all older than me, so they they actually they're 13, 14, and 15 years older than me. So uh you could, you know, some people wonder, am I the postman's son? But uh <laughs> <laughs> um so so there's there's quite a big range there, which means that they they left uh, to go to university and and I was kind of the the, the kind of the left left at home, right. and um, Limerick in generally I'm, I'm not sure if you know much history about Limerick because you mentioned you you were you were there you were living there is that right Yeah uh, so I I left Did you say you were born in eighty three Eighty six Eighty six So I left in eighty three Right And uh, I was there for about three years working for an American company called Burlington, which mm. was a textile factory. They had mm-hmm. one in Limerick and a couple of factories in Tralee. So it was woven polyester. And obviously an American company got a lot of, they moved there to ship to the continent, to the UK and, and the rest of Europe, obviously because they got handouts from the government to set up there to create employment, right? Mm. And um, so I worked for Americans, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my day was really spent working, I have to say, from very early morning to late at night. And 
my my memories are a bit vague because it's a long time ago. But one thing I will never ever forget, mm. and that is the food in the pubs mm -hmm. is just fantastic. Oh great. You know, one yeah. pub I remember, which is not really in Limerick, I think it's more towards Shannon mm -hmm. Airport, which is Dirty Nellies. Yeah. And Bonratty Castle. That's right. And the food yeah. was just superb. <laughs> And I have to say, compared to the UK, where I'd been living, I mean, originally I'm from the Netherlands. I know this is not about me, but just this tiny bit. Yeah, no, it's. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the food in the UK was okay, but it wasn't great. But when I came, went to Ireland, the food was just mm. superb. Mm. You know, it was just so tasty and and well made and fresh and yeah. yeah. I I just will never ever forget that even. Well, remember when colleagues used to come over from London and, and they stayed over and, and we went out in the evening, even kind of Italians in Limerick, you know, the food was just amazing. So anyway, that's the biggest thing that I can remember. There's a yeah. massive other story I can tell you about. I mean, I was there at the time of, you know, the issues with the IRA and yeah. the Mace Prison yeah. and coming up, coming into work one morning and, you know, all the workers were wearing black armbands and, you know, people say, oh, Limerick is the centre of the IRA in the south. And that was a bit scary at the time. Mm, mm. Uh, and you kind of wonder, oh, God, am I safe here? Mm. And so it was all the trouble in Northern Ireland and the UK that was all going on. But actually, I was a bit protected there. I was out of it, you know. So there was mm. never any trouble. There was never any trouble. Your, 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 your surname would have helped. <laughs> Yes. Now, my, my wife at the time, who I'm not with anymore, she was British and or she is British and she couldn't get a job because she was British. You know, it took a long, took her about good 12 months, 18 months before she was able to get a job. Mm. Um, so anyway. Yeah. Very, okay. interesting. very interesting. Limerick. I, I did yeah. love my time there, but it was also stressful at times, you know, mm. for different imagine. reasons, for different reasons. Yeah, I can imagine that, especially during that time. That was during the troubles. That was a mm. that was a tough time in in yeah. in our in our history as an island. Um, so I think what's what's interesting about Limerick is, and especially living here in the United Kingdom, is I get asked one question quite a lot. People say, "Oh, you're from Limerick. Mm. Has that anything to do with a Limerick, which oh. is a short poem, five sentence poem with humour?" And actually. It is linked. So the, the Mag poets who are based in Croom, and Croom is a small village in Limerick. Yeah. They, there is a river there called the Mag River. Right. And there was these very famous poets that were the originators of a Limerick. Mm. So if you're ever asked that question, you now know where it comes from. So <laughs> it is... There is actually a link because I, when I first came here to, to London, which I'll get on to later, uh, that was a question I was asked quite a lot. About wow. Um, I think also about Limerick, what's very interesting is it's, it's a city with loads of history and it's been through so many transitions. We were initially a, and, and for the context of the listeners, Limerick is based on the west coast of Ireland. It's on the Shannon Estuary. And the Shannon is the biggest, is the largest river in, in Ireland. Yeah. So it, it runs essentially from 
east of Ireland, sorry, excuse me, from the west of Ireland to the east of Ireland. So it's, and during, during that, during the founding of Limerick, it was founded really by the Vikings in the 10th century. Right. And it became a central hub of trading to other Viking towns in Europe. So that's kind of the origin, the origins of, of Limerick and its trading routes. Yeah. And then it transitioned uh, when the Normans arrived in the 12th century. And when the Normans arrived, that was uh, when a lot was being built. So we have now, we have King John's Castle, which still stands today on the Shannon. And we also have our our oldest uh Cathedral, which is St. Mary's Cathedral, mm. which is in Limerick. And from that period, there was also the transition with Protestant Protestants coming into Ireland. So we had Henry VIII, the, the departure from the Catholic Church. And that's when we saw that other transition. So Limerick has, and Ireland generally has been through so many different transitions, which is quite, you know, a lot of people, they, when they ask about that, they don't, they're not really aware of it. Now, if we fast forward to today, what we're known for now is Munster Rugby. So if if there's any listeners to rugby, they will know very well that Thoman Park is the home. And I I shouldn't really say this, I'll be cheeky, but it's really the home of Munster Rugby is in Limerick. Now, right. Cork people would not like to hear that, no. but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say it. So, so that's a little bit about Limerick, and you know, I mentioned about myself growing up there, and you know, my 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 obsession for golf and my love of it, and that that was really, as I mentioned, a kind of a big passion. Talked about my family and being the the youngest, uh, my parents. Now, if we talk a little bit more about kind of the the the, the teenage years, and um, I went to a school in Limerick called CBS Sexton Street. So CBS Sexton Street, some people will will know of that name because of a, of one particular student, and it wasn't me. <laughs> it was <laughs> a student uh, called JP McManus. And for anybody who knows about horse racing, mm. JP McManus is uh, a very, very famous guy when it comes to that. Uh, Certainly, have heard the name. Yes. Yeah. So he's typically his horses. You, you'll see they're they're identified by yellow and green stripe. So that's the school I went to in in Limerick, and I I then moved to another school while I was there called Limerick Tutorial College. And that was the school I went to where I did my leaving cert. So you right. call you call them A levels over here, leaving cert over there. Yes. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do while I was at school. To be quite honest, I was I was mature in many ways, but I was very immature in lots of ways too. Right. And I was I was thinking very artificially at that stage of my life about what I wanted to do next. And what I mean by artificially was thinking, okay, what pays well? What could be a good job? You know, how could I, what, what would look good rather than what did I really want to do? Right. And that's what I mean by that kind of 
lack of maturity. Whereas I knew at that time there were other students and they really had a direction. They knew what they wanted. Mm. But for me, I was like, okay, what do I want to do? And I chose law. I right. thought I'm going to do law. And I, I went to a university in Galway, National University of Ireland, Galway. And I, I studied for three years there uh, studying law. And I, I never, I wasn't really that passionate about it. It wasn't, it, 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 it wasn't something where I was clicking my heels going into the lectures every, every morning. And I think you, you, we, we talked briefly about your experience with the weather in Ireland. Yes. Well, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if you ever ventured into the wild west of Galway I but it, it, it is literally the Wild West. I mean, yes, I it is. There, was, there was days when I was battling to get into university at nine o'clock in the morning mm. because you get this gale force wind. And, and to everyone who's listening, the Atlantic coast batters the le- mm. The You look at Ireland, the West Coast is jagged all along. And you look at the East Coast, there's a much more softer yes. curve going. And that was the elements of living in in Galway. So quite quite an experience. In during that time, um, I also was traveling to the United States during my university years. So I lived in New York, and right. I lived in South Carolina, nice Myrtle Beach, and I lived in uh, California, so Huntington Beach, and that's very typical. Of, of some students in Ireland is that they take time out during the summer breaks of university to go to the States and mm. work and have a good time as well, of course. Mm, I know. And there's a real link, isn't there, with the US and yeah. Ireland? There is, there's a real connection. Yeah. Obviously, it goes back many, many, you know, centuries of, of people traveling from Ireland to the United States, obviously. Mm. But uh, that connection, that bond is is very, very strong. And, you know, we even heard it mentioned literally in the last month with Joe Biden winning the US presidency, or has he won? We don't know yet. Well, yeah. he has, but Donald Trump doesn't know yet. And mm. then... um the whole thing being mentioned about a Good Friday Agreement, you know, yeah. and that yeah. th- that that the US has a very strong interest in that being maintained and not risked for whatever reason. So yeah, the the bond is is amazing, and and obviously, young people growing up in Ireland know that and feel that bond and that pull to go to the US. Yeah. It's it's true, and you you just have to look at history. Uh, the Kennedys, for example, yes, uh, John 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 F. Kennedy's grandfather was from Limerick. Whoa, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I didn't know that. So there's there's links with presidents. There's links, and actually, if you just look at um, some of the politicians' names. Just you only have to look at the names. Mm. You see a lot of Irish surnames within the US yes. um, politicians. And and actually, and I can talk from a, from a personal perspective, is that my on my mother's side, believe it or not, yes, this happened. She <laughs> her mother had 13 children. Oh, so she yeah. is one of 13. 
Uh, I don't know how that's possible, but it is. It was back then, and most of her siblings travelled to the United States. So right. most, so I'm, I think it's nearly six, seven of them travelled right. to Minneapolis, St. Paul, the Twin Cities. Yes, and they settled there back in the the fifties, the sixties, seventies, and. We have quite a big connection ourselves with the, with Minneapolis St. Paul. So it's the land of 10,000 lakes. Yes. And we would travel there each summer and my my parents still do it. Uh where they they visit my uncle and my aunts and it's a it's a really it's a beautiful place but let's getting back to the point is that the feeling you get as an Irish person in America mm. it's so welcoming. They kind of treat you I wouldn't call it like a celebrity but they they really make you feel great about being there it's so welcoming mm. and that's a very beautiful characteristic of uh of 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 people to be that welcoming to be that open mm. and that's something which i really enjoyed actually when i was even traveling over during my university years was that 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 kind of that real warm welcoming feeling you got with the americans yes really really nice and right. so a great a great experience over the in the US working in different jobs like uh, I was working uh, in, in New York I was working on these roofs where I was tearing off old roofs of these mansions out in uh, Long Island that was my one of my first jobs that I was doing and it was it was quite funny actually uh, I, I'd, I'd never uh, I'd never worked on roofing and I had these old Nike runners on and the two guys I was with, they just wanted to make sure I did my job. Yes. And they, you know, they had these heavy steel cap boots on and there was me with these white old Nike runners on top of this three-story mansion in the Hamptons, tearing these roofs off. And it was quite an experience because one day I had actually been doing it and I stepped on a nail that was about three inches long, Ouch. went right through my foot. And I was, you know, I was just having this experience in, oh, in the States. And the guy I was actually, one of the guys I was working with, he told me one evening while we're up on this hot evening and he's having a beer, how he had served like 16 years in jail from for killing someone. <gasps> And this this was my experience of, you know, being in New York, working on this roof. It was just, it was, it felt a little bit crazy, but you just kind of went along with it. Mm. It was a great experience. I mean, meeting all these different characters and mm. all of that. Then you'd come back for university. And then the next year, went to Myrtle Beach in, in South Carolina, uh, worked as a waiter and started just doing different types of jobs. And and the South is so different. Mm so different in the south and again the like when you're doing a job like waitering you meet so many different types of characters and people yes, yes. uh and i just they absolutely love sweet tea down there my goodness i don't know if you have you been to the south it's like they, there's I an have. obsession with sweet tea I, I don't think i ever i don't think i ever wanted to see it again it's, it's like the equivalent of guinness to the irish or something <laughs> and then, you know, that was again another experience. Then we went to, to Huntington Beach in California and, and that was again totally different. Like even 
even though it's the United States of America, there's just so many differences between each state. It's a, it's incredible, you know, really mm-hmm. incredible. So, so that, that was kind of that period of my life. And then life got serious and yeah. it got serious because I was moving to London. I was moving because I was going to complete my uh, LPC. So that's like the equivalent of like the, the US bar, New York yes. bar, you know, something similar to that. And coming over to London, I didn't really know what to expect. I remember coming in on the plane and coming into Heathrow and it's an intimidating looking place. Mm. It really is an intimidating place. You kind of look at it and you're kind of thinking, and I remember being so, I have to be honest, I was, I was quite a confident kid at that age. Mm. I was confident and I was looking, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be all right here. I'll, 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 you know, I'll, I'll manage it. But there was also in the back of my head thinking, this is really intimidating too. I'm, I'm, yes. you know, what should I expect? So arrived in and first thing was going into, you know, find your place. I was first of all living in Shepherd's Bush and uh, then the Westfield was only just being, there was a construction site. So for anyone listening, that's one of the large shopping centers in West London. So that's during that time. That was 2008. And that was also during the financial crisis. Yes. So it was a it was a very strange time to arrive into London as someone who was then going to be looking for a job. Mm-hmm. Because And I had that always in the back of my head, but I didn't really understand. I'd never been through a financial crisis. So I didn't really, really get what the implications were. No. But, but the beauty of London is there's always something to do. You will always find something if you want. I know, I know. So, so going through that period, I was studying my for my exams, and I, f- I found it quite tough because during that time, uh, as again I was mentioning about you know maturity, and when you're studying for these type of exams, which are professional exams, you really got to give it a hundred percent. Now. During that time, I was actually playing a lot of rugby. So I played out with London Irish out in west west of London. Mm-hmm. And I was playing a lot of that and being very focused on kind of the social aspect because I needed to kind of build a kind of a social network here too. Of I, course, I, I, yeah. You feel quite alone if you don't. Of course, yeah. So I did. I, I, I kind of built a, a kind of a network there, but then my studies were kind of being impacted. So it was this kind of tug off between both between trying to build your clan as humans try and do and focus on your study. Mm. And then at the same time, being cautious about how you're going to get your, your first job within the city and trying to keep that in mind. Now, the other interesting thing about living in London has been when you first come here, there's, there's a way it operates. And even the places I was living in, I, I, I lived in one place after living in uh, Shepherd's Bush in Deptford. And we were meant to be moving into this flat and we couldn't move in because the first day we're in there, it was flooded. Oh. It flooded. There's pipes burst. There was all sorts. So we got moved to this other flat oh. and this old kind of, dingy flat and I just remember feeling like this is a tough I'm, I'm feeling the 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 toughness of this city already yeah you know you've got to because at the same time you've got to stay focused you've got to achieve what you're there to do do your sure. exams 
find yeah. a job, get through a crisis, all of these different things going on. And you, you've got to think on your feet. You can't mm. be doing this just completely um, mindless. You've got to be thinking, how do I, you know, how do I get to achieve my goals? So this period of time went on and I came to the time to do the exams and I completed those. Some of them I had to repeat because I was having to, again, pay the price for my social side and all of that. And the first job I actually got at the time was working in recruitment for a year. So I started working in a recruitment job because I couldn't get into legal work immediately. No. So that was my first job. And and I really didn't know what to expect from that. Mm. Um, I'd never been in a, a kind of a big office, you know, even coming from Limerick and then you come to London and then you go into this massive office, 200 people are on the floor ringing on phones. And it really did feel like uh, there was a real buzz to the place. Yes. Even though I didn't know what my job was involving and what I really had to do because it was the first time. Mm. But, But what I think I really learned from this job and, you know, excuse anyone who's, you know, who works in recruitment, but I really learned that I, I wanted to do something I really enjoyed because I really did not enjoy that job. I really, it wasn't for me. So I learned that I have to do something I enjoy. Of course. And the next phase after that was then working. um, I I worked in a law firm in the city. Right. I was doing legal work. And that, of course, was more now in line with um, my degree and in line with the qualifications and and it was it was interesting. I was working in a in a in a big city law firm, um, Herbert Smith Freehills, and I was in the investment funds department. And it was quite an experience. Um, some really credible professional people there. And this is a, a good link and segue into uh, communication mm. and the importance of communication, because. While I was there, it was intimidating. These these high paid lawyers, partners, yes, who were on huge salaries, mm. and they would look at you not in a not in any kind of negative way, but I, I felt that I wasn't I wasn't what I was saying wasn't connecting, right? And even some of the the more junior lawyers, they were incredible speakers, right. And it was intimidating because I felt that even my accent, speaking quickly, I felt it all was playing not in my favor. And right. it, it was kind of building a, a type of kind of an anxiety within myself. Understand. And and this anxiety was, and, and this is a completely, uh, this would go into another podcast if we talk. Yes. But this, this, feeling I was getting, this anxiety, it actually, a lot of it was linked to a, a, a personal traumas earlier in my life yes. that were simply accumulating in my body, in my mind. Mm. And let me explain what that means. One of those, because there was a few, but one of those, for example, in public speaking, mm. and this is all to do with the communication, is I remember I was 15 and... I was in the University of Limerick Concert Hall 
and I was so I played violin for a number of years mm. and I was I was in the concert hall I were after playing our set I think we were playing as a quartet and we came off and I remember the, the the conductor who was the principal of the school said to me one of the students can't do the announcement of the next uh, quartet that's coming on can you do it and I kind of said okay I'll no problem I'll do this so he said right this is what you need to say and just simply go out state the name of the the quartet the key they're playing in and you know bow and come off the stage and I said okay I can do that Mm. and I walked out and next minute bang comes the lights and you just get hit by this spotlight and all of a sudden my heart started pounding Mm. pounding I was thinking I couldn't think the conscious brain had shut off. I was in fight mode, fight or fight mode. I was in fight mode. I didn't, I couldn't think. And I walked, I just said, just keep walking, keep walking. Hmm. And I stood there and I could see, I think there's something like a thousand people that are, are in front of me. Right. And I just started talking complete gibberish. I was, I was talking, I was like the next orchestra is, going to be playing in and I could hear even sniggers in the crowd and I just said oh it's in G minor and and thanks very much and I just got off the stage in front of a thousand people and it had massive impacts on me that I I didn't realize but it had really soaked into my soul into my head because for for anyone who really understands how their body and their mind works is that these types of traumas they don't just fade away. They stay no. in you and you have to either deal with it or find a way of releasing it. Otherwise, it stays in the body and stays in the mind. It goes into the amygdala, doesn't it? Yeah. The brain. Yeah. Right. And if you're, if you're accumulating these types of different traumas in your life, you need to find a way to release them. Now, I didn't know that at 21, 22 when I was in these jobs and I was then having to communicate like when I was in the, in the law firm. Yes. So this, this was then coming out and I, again, like I, I have to highlight, I wasn't aware. I didn't understand myself well enough as I do today. No. But when I was in the law firm, I didn't have to do that much talking in front of people, but I did feel the nervousness when I had to speak to a client and I had to speak to different people and I, I, I just kind of swept it under the carpet. I said, I, I, I'll deal with this at, an, at some point, but it's okay. I'll, I'll get over it. And then I made the decision after two years to go into finance. So then I, I decided to transition. And that made sense because I was in investment funds within yes. corporate side. So then I moved into more capital raising in finance. Right. So I started off in a kind of a junior sales role, relationship management and uh, at the time, I was working at BlackRock, uh, which is a you know the largest asset manager in the yes. world. Yes. And again, what I was noticing was this nervousness being built up and accumulating inside of me. Yes. And especially in finance, there's a real if you're in these types of relationship roles, client relationship roles, or sales roles where you have to speak to clients, you know, there's a confidence you need to bring with you. Of course, yeah. A natural confidence, an authentic confidence, not this artificial confidence yes 
And I found myself in much more positions where I was having to speak in front of people because that's kind of part of being in finance is that you're a good communicator. Mm. And it was getting so bad, the anxiety for me when I was having to talk in front of a team, talk to a client. I was literally shaking inside myself and I couldn't, I couldn't figure this out. I was like, how, why is this like, this needs to go away. It needs to mm. leave me. But again, you need to be very understanding of who you are. And at that age, I was like 26 at this stage, 25, 26. Again, I didn't have that grasp, that knowledge to how to deal with it. And of course, there is a solution and we'll get on to that solution. There are yes. one of many solutions. Mm. But this went on and on for about four years, five years, four, four years. So until I was about 27, 28. And it got to the point where I was then moving into a, a more senior role where I would be presenting more. Like mm. that was it. I was in a role where I was going to be presenting. I'd moved out of the company that I was in and there, there was no way out at this point. I had mm. to face the demons. And I got into this new role and I remember... I was meant to be traveling back and forth to meet clients and meet boards and talk about their investments in the new company. And I had an incredible boss at the time who was really supportive and an incredible uh, mentor to me during that period. Yes. And his support was a gr was great because he could, he could sense that I was nervous too, but he didn't, he kind of watched and saw what I was doing. Like a good leader does. He doesn't just pounce and say, Oh, do this or change that. He kind of sat back, watched and i remember i did my my first big presentation over in dublin in front of these uh investors and again i was just even if we go back the night before i was with my partner and i couldn't sleep the night before wow could not sleep i was so nervous and thinking about it and it, it was just becoming like a snowball effect i was just and and the thing is, and I, I'm a I'm a big believer of this is that if your mind is going through all this stress and anxiety, it's going to impact your body. It's yeah, going to yeah. impact your who your physical well being. Mm. So I went through that, and I went through another presentation, another presentation, and then it got to a point where I had a pitch. I had a pitch in front of a of a, in front of a, a a new client, a new prospect. I went in with a very very senior investor mm. uh, so a guy who's investing in funds a yes. portfolio manager yeah and this guy was you know super in, like a super communicator so able to connect to people i, I looked up to him really because i was so wowed by his ability to 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 really when you go into these rooms these boards when you're presenting it's so stiff mm -hmm. you could, not even a needle can drop and and what, what you find is when you go into them, people are kind of thinking, well, we know what you're going to come in here and say. We know you're just, you know, we yes. know you're trying to do this and that. And, and you can kind of feel it. It's not like a nice atmosphere to walk no. in. No. And what, what was interesting was this guy had such an ability to make that room so at ease. He'd have a, he'd just crack a joke. He'd say something. And really that was kind of what I was meant to be doing, being the more... The, the guy who's representing the business alongside the, the manager. Yeah. But I was too nervous. Mm. And I remember I rushed through the, the presentation and at one point he was kicking me under the desk. 
he was kicking me saying, and he didn't say anything, but when I had finished my piece, he just kind of went, thanks, Emmett. Thanks for that. And that was his way of saying, mm, not good. Oh. And that for me was rock bottom, I think. And I was, I came out of that feeling terrible. And I realized I didn't have anywhere else to hide. I couldn't jump. I couldn't go under. I couldn't go sideways. I had to dive into the problem. Right. First. And this then leads to really the, the start starting place of positive progression, our company, our product, the speaker's journal, because this is when I started my public speaking uh, journey. Right. And public speaking to, to, to those listening uh, for me has been Toastmasters International, which is a nonprofit organization and has thousands and thousands of members around the world. And I, I, it's been a real life-changing moment for me. Happened the same for me. Yeah, yeah I did yeah. Toastmasters as well. Great. So we can connect on this as commonality. Yeah. And what was amazing about it was, I mean, anyone, first of all, because the, 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 the club I'm part of was Barclay, is still Barclay Square Speakers. We have to get up. I have to get up at 5.30, 5.45 every morning. Sorry, sorry. Every Wednesday morning and be in there for seven o'clock in the Lansdowne in London, in Barclay Square. And you've got to be ready to do a speech, be evaluated, yeah. um, do a table topics, which is essentially thinking on your feet. And anyone who's in at seven in the morning to do that is a, you're, you're different. Mm. You're, you're, you, you want to improve and you're determined to improve. Yeah. And that was where I needed to be amongst these people. And right. I learned so much from entrepreneurs, business leaders, just people from all kinds of different backgrounds and mm. cultures. And it, it changed me. It changed who the, the, the issues that were going on inside of me. Yes. And I think on top of that, which was also a very powerful changer for me in my mind, because I needed to relax. I needed to stem the anxiety that was coming from my stomach because anyone who knows who's experiences that feeling it comes from this tummy and it leads its way up to the chest and it it kind of takes over yes and i started practicing transcendental meditation and transcendental meditation has been another and i don't i don't like to use the term but it you know people understand it It, it's been a game it has been a game changer for me it has Mm -hmm. changed me because it's relaxed my mind it's relaxed my body i can breathe i can Mm -hmm. And couple that with public speaking, all of a sudden I was armed. I felt I was armed now to go out and I felt like I could feel more confident slowly, slowly, slowly. Yes. And what I was noticing, though, as I was going through this process was that I had no companion with me. I had nothing that was a kind of a guide and a way to express what was going on in my speaking journey, whether it was day-to-day interactions, public speaking, presentations. Mm. I needed something and also a guide in the sense that something that would bring out how to speak credibly, how to tell a good story, Mm. what it means to tell a good story, the effects of a good story, all of these things, but not in a big 
book, which, you know, like you can read a TED Talks, you can listen to a TED Talks, but just something that's practical and you can learn from in bite-sized chunks and also have the ability to journal. This was kind of circulating in my head Mm. because I had loads of different notepads and random pieces of paper and this Mm. and this and this. So that was really the origins of what we created is the speaker's journal, which is essentially that it's, it's a guidebook and a journal because what's important in your journey as a speaker, because we're speaking now. Mm. And and sometimes people get a bit put off by the word public speaking, but public speaking is just talking. It's Mm -hmm. it's essentially talking, communicating. Mm. And What's one thing that you do every day, Michael? What do you do every day? What are you doing right now? You're, you're communicating. Even when, even when you don't say anything, that's a form of communication. Yes. And how you look at someone is, is a yes. form of communication. But what I really noticed as well is people need to express not only their external voice, but their internal voice. Because... yes. Thinking about what had gone on in my life and also, you know, I'd, I'd done therapy as well. That, that was another game changer for me. Three, those three things to mm. add that. In. Self-awareness is so key. And through self-awareness, which is linked to journaling, because journaling, you want to understand what's going on in my mind. Why am I mm. thinking? Why am I saying this? Yeah. And what's very dangerous in one person or can be very powerful is that voice within themselves that says, for example, Michael, you can't do this. Yes. Bringing you back to something from childhood, or it's bringing you back to something that's triggering you. And you're thinking I can't do it. Or you become defensive, but what you can do in order to empower yourself is journal, write down what that voice, because that's communication too in your journal, write down, what's that voice saying? Why did that voice say it? And that's a form of managing and empowering yourself through journaling. And that was the, that was the other aspect to this, the internal voice. Yeah. I'll give you a bit of a rest there because you're doing really well. I, I, it's a really important aspect of, of what you've said several times now is about getting to know yourself. Mm. and having the courage to own up to yourself, you know, because it's the thing that we shy away from through life so many times that eventually gets us into trouble Mm. by not being 100% brutal, honest with yourself. If you can do that by writing it down it get you you you're getting it out of your brain out of your body onto paper mm. i mean there's um we follow a lady who is brilliant called byron katie mm-hmm. and she has this very simple few step process and the first question about any thought that anybody might have about themselves or about other people or about the situation is is it true? And the second question is, if people say, yes, yes, it's true. You know, the second question is, or for instance, like I'm a terrible public speaker. The first question is, is it true? Mm. The second question is, 
can you be absolutely certain that it's true? Right. Yeah. And that always gets people going, oh, actually, no, probably it's not true. <laughs> you exactly. know, but if you can be truthful with yourself by journaling mm. alongside of what you've created, a, some sort of guide for public speaking, communication, whatever you want to call it, then it allows somebody to get that stuff out of them onto right. paper. And once you commit it to paper, then you can examine it more clearly as well. So I think it's, I think it's brilliant. I think it's genius. I've never come across anybody creating such a thing. I wish I had. Now through Toastmasters, you you have a guidebook, but it's not quite the same. You know, you you're kind of having to work through a process of getting to certain levels of speaking. Um, I haven't seen your journal yet, but I can well imagine, I've obviously looked at some of the images and read about it. I can well imagine that, you know, you've got the ability to write your own notes about how you think you are progressing. Mm, exactly. And on that journey. Exactly. And, and actually if you can, if you can send me the best address to, cause I want to, obviously you've been part of this journey with me and, um, Only a tiny bit, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, but anyone who's been part of the journey and who's in this journal is, um, for me, someone who's been a play, played a part. So if you can send me your address, it would be my pleasure to send you a journal. Oh, bless you. That, that'd be great. Yeah, love yeah. To, to explore it. Yeah. So, so the journal exists, has been created, correct? Mm -hmm. So tell us about you know, some of the highlights about it, how can people get hold of it? And, and, and also about the journey about what are you aiming for this? Where do you want this to go? Yeah. And who do you want to get it in front of? Yeah. So the, there's, there's a specific aim in, in this. And the aim is to bring self-awareness to people first. Yes. We, we're, we're, we're a company that has our values in the right place because I, I bring something from personal experience mm. and practical experience. And I know that having this journal would have helped me so much earlier in my journey. Yes. And what we say at, at, positive progression along, you know, my partner and I, Valeria, who's been a massive, massive, um, she's played a huge role in, in, in our business. Um, we have communicate better, feel happier. Hmm. And th if you think about that, it, 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 it's powerful, right? If you, if you're communicating better, typically you will feel better about yourself, that you're saying what you want, your ideas, what you feel about your partner. For example, what you say to your wife, what you say to your boss, what you say to you, it's so important that you communicate in the right language. Communication has such an impact mm. on people's lives. Mm. Look at the president we just had in the US. Look what he did through his words. Mm. Mm. Look at the impact he had. Mm. It's so powerful that you're, and people sometimes forget the power of the voice and the power of language. Mm. And 
that's why we want to bring self-awareness through the journal so people can be aware of what they're saying in their daily interactions and improve on that. Yes. And for not only just daily interactions, whether maybe you're a sales guy, maybe you're a nurse, maybe whatever it is, you're going to have some form of communication and what you're saying to those people around you has a big impact on the direction of your life. Mm. So that's why we have such a, a big mission. But what we're finding as a, as a hurdle is that people don't admit they have communication question mark around what they say. They, they, don't, they don't believe. And, and that's what we're trying to do, first of all, is bring awareness, bring inspiration. Yes. So when I mention inspiration, we're not only just a, a company selling journals. Mm. I'm also connecting with very, very incredibly powerful speakers and people who have incredible stories to talk about Mm. in public speaking. Mm. So I've been connecting with a number of people in Toastmasters and we're we're going to be aiming for 8 p.m. on a Thursday talking about their story, about how they found their voice, how Mm. communication has impacted their life. Mm. So we can then inspire people through these stories and bring awareness in, in, a, in a real life scenario rather than just having the journal there. Yes. Yeah. That sounds amazing. And, you know, just I haven't got the 100% solution for you mm. in terms of, but I, I think it's an important point and that any of our listeners that are listening to this, it comes back to, being brutally honest with yourself to begin with, you know, whether you think you need something to help you in improving your communication. It's a bit like what you said earlier, when you went into that law firm with all of these big shots earning whatever they were earning, and you felt you couldn't connect with them or communicate with them at a level that you felt comfortable. There was like a a gut feeling inside of you that went, something isn't quite right here, but I can't put my finger on it. Mm. And there are lots of people walking on this planet that feel that way Mm -hmm. and don't know where it's going wrong. And it's not their fault, you know, necessarily either. It may be their upbringing, their education, their thoughts about themselves, the experiences that they've had, the stuff they've stored away you know, often experience standing on stage trying to announce something and then messing it up and then that stays inside of them for the rest of their lives and they can't overcome that. Yeah. So I think nobody ever likes being told what's wrong with you or did you know you need to improve your communication? People go, because Mm. most people don't have self-awareness, sorry to say, you know. It's tough. It's tough for everybody, including us. You know, self-awareness is, is like the holy grail. So need to flip it around and say, where do you want to get to in life? Right. So when I started to realize that becoming a public speak better at public speaking would potentially give me the rewards that I'm looking for in life. Right. So if you want to become more successful, if you want to be happier, 
whatever it is that you want to do or achieve in life, being able to communicate, let's not call it public speaking, being able to communicate is the way to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve in mm. life. If it's just, oh, I just want to be happy, then being able to communicate will achieve that. If it's, I want to be successful and get run my own company, that being able to communicate is really important. And I've seen countless startups, particularly startups, who've mm -hmm. had to pitch in front of investors. Yeah. And I've witnessed how they've, you know, told their story or not, mm. and just presented a load of figures instead mm. and gone PowerPoint crazy because they want to hide behind something. It's been dreadful, you know. I do not see many good communicators and I did I've done over my kind of career in business a lot of networking and seen a lots of speakers and I can count them on a couple of hands in the decades that I've been doing it. There are not many good communicators out there. So sorry, I'm just kind of saying yeah. how we can appeal to people to say, you know, whatever it is you want to achieve in life, become a better communicator first. Yeah, I think exactly. And I can resonate with all of that. And 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 look, and, and when I speak, I don't speak from uh, the point of I'm an expert communicator. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. All I'm of us are. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it's like a, it's a never ending. It never ends the communication journey. It really does not. No. And, and that's another point is that there isn't, I think today people are so impatient. They want like a magic pill to fix their communication but I'm afraid, like meditation, like most things, it takes time. It takes effort. You're going to have to get out your journal. You're going to have to put that time in. Otherwise, you're not going to see the reward. No. And, you know, we want to as well. Uh, I, we, we think at our business, at our company, is that if you communicate better, it's also communication is like a mirror image the world around you will reflect better. Mm. Communicate better and the world around you will reflect better. Mm. So we we really believe that because, again, talking from personal experience and speaking to many others, and a lot of people have said when they're not communicating well, they've typically had a bad reflection coming back in at them. Yes. And... You know, that can be even the interview you go to. You go into an interview, which is a, a pressurized slot of time. You know, you don't go in there and communicate well. That could be the difference, even though you're smarter, you're this, you've got all the qualifications. But unless you can communicate all of that, you're going to be in a troublesome situation because the guy who's coming in after you, by the way, hasn't got all your qualifications hasn't got all your intelligence, but my goodness, can he communicate? Mm. He's mm. actually, he's nearly a front runner for that role, for that role. And that's, that's why it's, it's so important. Um, and, and that's really the big mission we have is awareness, a lot of awareness we're trying to bring to, to the lives of so many people. So it's exciting where we're really excited about, you know, what, what, our mission is and how we're going to go about it. And the, the other element, which I mentioned is connecting with such incredible people in this journey. Yes. Um, when, when I was working in finance, I didn't have 
that ability to connect with such different characters and people with such powerful personal stories. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really touching. You know, I, I love to talk to real people. Yes. People really have a soul and they can tell you about who they really are rather than who they want you to believe they are. Yeah. You know? The persona, so, yeah. The, the person behind the mask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex- ex- exactly. And, and Jung talked about that. Carl Jung talked about the mask mm. a lot. So we want people to just really be able to communicate who they are, what they think, but in a very, very credible way. Yeah. And, and we give people those fundamental tools like Aristotle's rhetoric model of persuasion, logos, mythos, pathos. If you can go into a presentation like you've seen those startups, if they can if they can hit those three factors, they will come out of that presentation and do quite well. Yes. Or if people have complex information that they're trying to get across, rather than bombard people with data and figures and complex, smart sounding words, they can use the power of storytelling. Mm-hmm. They can they can bring it into something simplified and give it as a story and make it a parallel. Mm. And these are the types of things which people just forget about. I know. Yeah, you remind me of the the um, the government press briefings on the kind of COVID with all the charts that are like, yeah, you know, some of them are like, who's going to understand any of that or even remember it? You know, what what is it that you're trying to do? And there is no storytelling that goes on. Sometimes they they wheel on a speaker who tells a story and that's what you remember. That's right. So, Emmett, um, where can people learn about positive progression, uh, the journal, about you, about your partner, because you're working together? So what? How can they find out? Tell us some website names, platforms yeah. where they can learn. Sure. So the two main platforms is, first of all, our website. So www.positiveprogressionjournals.com. Okay. That is our website. And you can find out about who we are, the story, our mission, um, sustainability is a big factor within our business too. Um, so, you know, fair working conditions, our journals are printed in the EU and for they're made from sustainable paper. So that's very important for us too. Great. So we're, we're a business with purpose and we, we, we really want to follow our beliefs and values. And, and there's a number of those factors. And then when we talk more about the, the, the actual connecting with people and bringing value on a, a weekly basis, other than the journal, uh, we have our Instagram. Right. So at Positive Progression Journals is our Instagram. Right. And through that channel, we are educating our listeners, our followers, about how they can connect more to themselves listen to their internal voice, which has such an impact on the external voice. Yes. So we really give new ways for people to think about how they can connect. And also we're going to be giving people education on different ways you can connect with clients, connect with your partner, connect with just just everything communication related. So you can 
takeaway as a follower, a listener, really valuable day-to-day stuff that, okay. that, that, that everyone can use. We want it to be relatable and we want it to be broad enough that the topics we talk about can give value to people and they can also see the value of the journal. Great. And they can see the value of self-expression and self-awareness. So it's, I would say it's those two key areas. Now we are on LinkedIn, we're on Pinterest as well, we're on Facebook. Um, but but those would be the two main channels, I would say, the website and Instagram in order to, to, to get the value and also a place to buy the journal as well. Perfect, perfect. Okay, great. Well, I'll include all of that in the show notes as well. Have you got any other events coming up or anything that people should be aware of? Yeah, so we have an event coming up on Thursday this week. So that will be an introduction to positive progression, uh, a little bit of information about us, who we are, why we created the company, and we'll also be talking about the power of communication on a daily basis. So I have uh, a, a and the the person who's interviewing me is a guy called Andrew Ben Salim, and Andrew is a performance coach, and he's also a member of Barclay Square Speakers. Okay, and he's someone who really believes in the power of communication and communicating Brilliant. well. Um, so that's eight p.m. this Thursday, and we'll be. I better talk- get this show out quickly then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, so I have to turn around this fairly quickly, which I'll try my best to do. <laughs> okay, fantastic, fantastic. But if if they people can't catch it live, presumably they can watch it on a replay. Yeah, we'll we'll have it there on a on a replay. If they go to our Instagram page and our website, we'll we'll be putting them there, and Brilliant. we'll we'll be aiming for eight p.m. every Thursday once once a week. Okay, well that's really important. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right, so if they don't catch it this week, they can catch something else next week and they can watch the replay for this week. Just in case I can't get the show out quickly enough. (laughs) Brilliant. Anything else that we haven't covered or we've missed? I think that's that's it. Um, Just such a pleasure to talk to you again, Michael. You're, You're such a gentleman and you're someone who sees the value in storytelling and um, it's it, I think it's great to working with you and then connecting with you again. So I'm you know really grateful to have the opportunity to speak on your show, and we have so much commonality too. Yeah, absolutely. And and thank you very much for contacting me in the first place um, about the the storytelling infographic and uh, which people can find in the journal as well. And uh, I appreciate you coming on the show as well, because uh, I want to help you get the message out there. I want to help you help other people effectively. <laughs> yeah. And you ha- you had a great story to tell, so I really appreciate that. Thank and, you. And uh, when all of this lockdown malarkey is out of the way, yeah. uh, some point um, I'm sure we will meet in person too. So thanks I'd for being on that. the show, and uh, we'll meet very soon, no doubt. Thanks, Michael. Take care. All the best. Thanks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe and share at will. I'm always looking for more listeners and guests. So do get in touch, please. 
You can find me pretty easily by searching for Staying Alive UK. Thank you. Staying Alive UK. Share your story.